Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. And welcome to Mama Mia Out Loud. It's what women are talking about on Wednesday, the 5th of October. And we're very excited because tonight, no, we're very excited <laughs> because tomorrow. That's how excited we are. Is our first live show and it's in Orange in regional New South Wales. And so after we record the show today, we're getting on a plane. We are. We are travelling through the rainy storms of on New South Wales. Again. Just Hollywood can't wait to get on the road again. And you know, you've heard what tour life is like. You've seen the movies. <laughs> Sex and drugs and toasted sandwiches. It's all happening. (laughs) Don't ask me to tell you what happens because what happens on tour (laughs) stays in orange. Exactly. I'm Holly Wainwright. I'm Mia Friedman. I'm Emma Gillespie filling in for Jessie Stevens. You might know me as the producer of this podcast. Jessie Stevens will be joining us in orange because she is away for work at the moment. What could possibly go wrong? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Also, there's floods (laughs) predicted. Storms, everything. It's going to be great. On today's show... The people the fashion industry refused to cancel. What is hope fatigue and how can you overcome it? And what can Mia Friedman learn from a particular mother-in-law drama that's playing out in the very famous Beckham clan? But first, I'm sure Outlouders are aware that a very high-profile trial has started in Australia and that is the trial that involves the sexual assault allegations that Brittany Higgins has made against a man called Bruce Lehrman. They're both former staffers at Parliament House. Now, if you've been reading the reports of that, as I have, and I'm sure everybody has today about what happened on Thursday of the trial yesterday, it's very upsetting. And I know a lot of outlouders will be feeling that way. And you might also be wanting us to talk about it. I just want to give a little flag that we are not going to be talking about that case very much at all, if at all, until the verdict comes down. And there is a very good reason for that. And that is that this case is so high profile and so much has been said about it that at various times it's actually been in danger of being called off because there's been a lot of conjecture about whether or not there can actually be a fair trial. The last thing that any of us would want to do at Mamma Mia is jeopardise a fair trial in that situation. It's too important a case. So we are not going to be talking about the Brittany Higgins trial until it is over. I just wanted to let Outlouders know that in case you're thinking, why aren't we talking about that? But of course, on the website, mamamia.com.au, rolling news coverage there, coverage over on the Quickie, our news podcast, so you can stay up to date. In case you missed it, big water bottles are the latest and the hottest summer trend. They're being called emotional support water bottles. Have you seen these? No. Why do I need an emotional support water bottle? Because hydration is very important, Holly Wainwright. So they're these enormous water bottles. There's a few floating around our office. I want to say they probably hold maybe two or three litres. 
big, big, brightly coloured matte things, they're going off. The emotional support water bottle hashtag has received 64 million views on TikTok. Toughen up, people. (laughs) They're good. (laughs) It's better than having buying little plastic ones all the time. Yeah, isn't it? They're reusable. They're sustainable. Oh, I love a water bottle, but it's the emotional support part that I'm struggling with. It's because you carry them around kind of like a little newborn baby, I think. Like you tuck them in your oh. arm and, and they're just there for you like, and they're very big. And I have some emotional support teacups, which I take when I travel. Oh, that's true. Have yeah. you packed them? I have. Oh, thank God. Yeah. This is good because I was getting quite worried about the keep cup market and the businesses that manufactured keep cups and is anyone still buying them? But Frank Green, an Aussie company, their sales are up 15% because of the big water bottles. Oh, there you go. In case you missed it, Kim Kardashian is cutting our grass and has launched a podcast. So off, Kimberly. I think we'll be breaking the internet by taking photos of our bottoms (laughs) with our jeans pulled down (laughs) because two can play at that game as Kardashian. (laughs) Her side hustle is trying to uh, get people out of prison. Wrongly convicted. And I think she's studying to become a lawyer. Her father was very famously on the defense team for OJ Simpson. She's done this true crime podcast with Spotify. It's called The System. And the first season, which she just narrates, like, let's be honest. So she's just, you know, it's fine. But she just know. reads it. I don't it's think not, you're being fair. It's not as hard as what we do, <laughs> which is just <laughs> she took a, bar. She's not working as hard as we she's are. Not, which is give our opinions <laughs> that nobody asked for. So here's a little bit of her podcast. Hi, I'm Kim Kardashian. You might have seen that recently I've gotten really involved in wrongful conviction and rehabilitation work. And there's one case in particular that I can't stop thinking about. I'm Kim Kardashian, and this is The System. Kim Kardashian used to get dragged a lot for her voice and for the Kardashian vocal fry, which was when you talk a little bit like that. That's called vocal fry. And yes, there's a lot of conjecture about women's voices, which is just such rubbish, but she's clearly not frying her vocals anymore. You could hear the, her dulcet tones. She sounds wonderful. Yeah, but anyway, it's about more than that. It's about Kevin Keith. You listen to it if you want to. I don't know. <laughs> but I just love the weirdness of the world we live in now where Kim Kardashian gets people out of jail and makes podcasts about it. Like, yeah. who saw that coming? Me will be listening to that one right after the next episode of Archetypes. <laughs> oh, That's not coming out for a while because of respect. Okay, I'll put both of those podcasts in my burn book. Mark your calendars for the first Monday in May. The 2023 Met Gala theme has been revealed. A couple of stories within the fashion world have caught my eye recently and I want to unpack them with you. Firstly, Kim Kardashian has collaborated with Dolce & Gabbana. You might have seen Milan Fashion Week, lots of things going on there, lots of beautiful people in Italy wearing clothes that we'll never be able to buy. And Kim did this collaboration that inspired Dolce & Gabbana's spring-summer offering at Milan Fashion Week. We'll talk about that shortly and why that's problematic. But another story that made headlines within the fashion world is that the 2023 Met Gala theme has been announced. The upcoming theme will be celebrating the work of Karl Lagerfeld. Okay, so what is the Met Gala? Well... The Met Gala or Met Ball, it's the Fashion Olympics. It's an annual fundraising gala held for the Metropolitan Museum. And it always has a theme. Yeah, always has a theme. In New York, tickets cost about $60 billion. Happens in May. Previous themes have included Gilded Glamour, Camp, Heavenly Bodies. Next year's theme, Karl Lagerfeld. Who is Karl Lagerfeld? 
Karl Lagerfeld was the creative director of Chanel, Fendi, his own very successful fashion label. Karl died in 2019, aged 85. So the Met Gala Ball, the night, will coincide with an exhibition at the Met all about Karl Lagerfeld's legacy. It will have pieces that he designed, original sketches. You'd know him as the guy with the white hair and the big sunglasses. Yeah, often carried a fan. Yeah, one of the most famous, like, fashion stereotype Mm. dudes. Like, if you think fashion designer, you think him. Yes. During Karl's life, he was the subject of criticism for a few problematic views, largely his fat-phobic stance particularly surrounding women's bodies. So he's on the record several times explicitly saying unkind things about women's bodies. No one wants to see round women, he once said, when a French magazine announced it was going to use ordinary realistic women over models back in 2009. He had a murky history with sexual assault, sent flowers to an accused rapist. He defended stylist Carl Templer after he was accused of sexual assault. And he said, if you don't want your pants pulled about, don't become a model. Joined a nunnery. He also said he was fed up with the Me Too movement and he had Claudia Schiffer appear in blackface and yellowface in 2008. He called Muslims the worst enemies of Jewish people in 2017 while criticising the acceptance of refugees in France. Can we talk about that for a second? Yeah. Because I'm going to give an unpopular and surprising opinion to myself, which is if he was being given like the Nobel Peace Prize fair things to bring up and fair reasons for disqualification. But it's about fashion. It's about a fashion theme. And I don't think anyone could argue that Karl Lagerfeld has had an enormous influence on fashion over a long period of time, right? Yeah. So the Met Gala is not a community service. It's not a social justice movement. It is a museum, the Metropolitan Museum of Modern, uh, the whatever it's called. <laughs> Costume so, Institute something something fashion. I, I'm really troubled by this idea of you have to be everything to everyone all the time. Like you can be really good at fashion but not be a very nice person or have views that people disagree with. And I disagree with all of those views, let me be clear. Yeah. But like two things can be true. I just don't believe that we would accept this behaviour from other people in the public eye, be that celebrities, actors, influencers, our colleagues, our friends, each other. So what I'm confused about or concerned about is that there seems to be this safe space in the fashion industry reserved for endorsing these toxic legacies just quickly on Dolce & Gabbana. Oh, my God. I mean, who haven't they offended in the last 10 years They have had homophobic statements, racist statements. They've shamed parents who've conceived through IVF or have children carried by surrogates. Look, when you're buying a piece of clothing or wearing a piece of clothing, yes, you get to choose where your money goes, right? We've talked about this on the show before and there's a brand of lingerie that I absolutely love. I learned that the owners of that brand have really troubling, disturbing views, anti-vax views and, and stuff. And I've chosen not to put my money there anymore, right? Mm. But every time I wear those bras, am I endorsing the views of the people who own the company? Because that's very problematic. I The thing that made me roll my eyes about this, about everybody getting upset about Karl Lagerfeld, and to be honest, and this is a terrible thing to admit, I forgot he was dead. Now that I've remembered yes, that he's dead, same. I'm even more surprised about why everybody is, <laughs> because is so upset about it. Because this industry will not move on. <laughs> but uh, this is what I'm about to say. Let's not pretend 
that the fashion industry isn't deeply problematic at every single level. Mm -hmm. What Karl Lagerfeld was actually guilty of when he made those fat phobic comments, and he said worse things than round women, he talked very openly about, I don't want fat people to sit on the couch eating chips in their tracksuits wearing my clothes. That's basically what he said. I'm paraphrasing. Sorry, Karl. But he basically said out loud, what the fashion industry has always thought, I'm talking about high fashion, because what was really interesting in watching Paris Fashion Week this weekend, and I didn't go and find it, those images of um, Bella Hadid having her dress spray painted on her on a catwalk invaded my phone on Saturday morning and then it's all I saw for a weekend and everybody's going, oh my God, perfection, what a fashion moment, isn't this amazing? Like, no, this is just a celebration of a beautiful body. Why is everyone getting sprayed? Why can't people just wear clothes? Paint is not clothes. But high fashion people have always worshipped at the altar of skinny, skinny, skinny. And so interestingly, all the, yeah, and white, and the commentary around Paris Fashion Week, a lot of it is pointed out that that European high fashion movement is refusing to move, right? New mm. York Fashion Week, they're more in love with, you know, real women as models. There's much more diversity. I think there was only one fashion show on the catwalk in Paris that had actual diversity. The rest of it was just back to the old. It's like they went, yeah. we ticked that box for a bit. Now let's get back to the proper fashion that's for proper fashion but people. Holly, Anna Wintour and that whole world is all about this. So why are not, we surprised? It's not good enough to just say, oh, the fashion industry is problematic and therefore let's not waste our time being concerned with this. The Met Gala is an enormous event. Last Met Gala garnered $700 million US in media impact value. That refers to all of the dollar values of every post shared, every article written about it, every news report. You know, it's an enormous night with enormous influence and women will attend that Met Gala honouring the legacy of a toxic person and what is every single woman on that red carpet going to be a conventional size or, or, you know, a size six? They can choose whether to go or not. Anna Wintour is allowed Mm. to make the Met Gala about whatever she wants to make the Met Gala about. Let's not pretend that fashion, as Mia said, is a social justice movement. But it doesn't have to be social justice movement to reflect the population. You don't have to go. And the celebrities don't have to go. And you don't have to. You know what? That's it. I'm not going to go to the Met Gala now. (laughs) And you don't have to look at the pictures on Instagram and you don't have to support it. Like, honestly, we behave sometimes like we have no choice. We have choice. Just like Mia can choose not to buy those undies anymore. If you're particularly bothered by Karl Lagerfeld, and he did express abhorrent views, but let's remember he is dead. If you're particularly troubled by him, don't go to but the But there's Mexico. a certain Stop influence. Buying Chanel. Give your <laughs> Chanel back. It's there's so funny that fashion, high fashion has always been about the 1%. No, but there's an influence here in fashion that trickles down into our lives that we don't necessarily have a choice over, referring to, of Mm. course, that famous scene in The Devil Wears Prada where Andy doesn't care about some blue and then she gets read for filth about how, well, this is going to trickle down into the high streets and it will end up in a sale bin in H&M where you'll buy it. You go to your closet and you select, I don't know, that lumpy blue sweater, for instance, because you're trying to tell the world that you take yourself too seriously to care about what you put on your back but what you don't know is that that sweater is not just blue it's not turquoise it's not lapis it's actually cerulean that blue represents millions of dollars and countless jobs so Dolce & Gabbana the Met Gala Karl Lagerfeld 
we may know that these like high fashion houses and events and moments are very, very far removed from our world, but ultimately they are tastemaker moments. They set the agenda. Exactly. So choose to invest in the ones that are making change. Savage Fenty, blah, blah, brand, like the New York Fashion Week stuff that is using diversity, real people, like female fashion designers who are going forward. Like who gives us stuff about what Anna Wintour thinks we should be wearing? Like... I'm not for a second defending Karl Lagerfeld. I'm just saying, tell these dinosaurs that they're dinosaurs by just moving on instead of going like, I can't believe we're celebrating this guy. Just show them how irrelevant they are. And if celebrities really care about it, enough to whinge about it on social media, then don't go to the Met Gala this year. I'm Kim Kardashian, and this is... Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. So this is an actual text that I sent a friend this week. Nuclear war, I just can't. Oh my God, Mia. <laughs> a memoir by Mia Friedman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's kind of where we're at. And in case you're wondering, in case you missed it, there's been a little bit of talk because uh, Putin gave a very unhinged speech. You know. I may have Romo'd that one, Mia. I may have, I may have. Relief of missing relief out. Relief of missing out. I may North have Korea fired a missile over Japan. <laughs> yeah. Look, Putin's talking a big game. Let's see how that pans out. But. Oh, God. Not my, funny, obviously. My Very serious. Nuclear war, I just can't text, is endemic of something larger, a bit of a, I won't just call it social movement, but a social condition that is being called by one psychotherapist. Hope fatigue. There's an article in the Washington Post this week written by a psychotherapist based in New York called Leslie Alderman, who writes, One of my patients showed up last week looking tired. She had always been ambitious and concerned about injustice. During this session, she sighed when talking about a meeting where her colleagues complained about unfair treatment. She said, I don't know why they bother getting upset when it feels like nothing matters. I was concerned by her disengagement, but then a colleague sounded similarly worn down. She confided to me, I haven't followed the war in Ukraine at all. I simply don't have the bandwidth. And she goes on to say that a lot of her patients are experiencing this deficit of optimism and are feeling really overwhelmed about important issues that they feel are beyond their control. And of course, it all kind of started, well, I would argue that it started with Donald Trump probably, for me, in 2016. And then with COVID in 2020, people who've been always concerned about national and world events and who might have been visibly frightened during the pandemic now just seem exhausted. And I would say that certainly applies to me. And Leslie Alderman writes, the murder of George Floyd was horrific and mass shootings are increasingly common. This is in the US. Now it feels like we are all in a relentless game of whack-a-mole, but in this case, the rodents are existential threats. And I just thought that is so brilliant because it's very different from being overwhelmed by crises in your own life, you know, like we've all gone through phases where you might have health issues and then something else happens and then you have a bad day at work and then you lose your car keys. And these are all 
upsetting things, but they're things within your frame of influence in most cases. But things like the war in Ukraine, the uprising of women in Iran, Putin, what North Korea are doing, COVID, climate change. How do you keep feeling anxious for something that you can honestly have no impact on? Hole, help me. Help a sister (laughs) out with my hope for tea. I can't help you out because I definitely have hope fatigue. And when we talked about this in the context of that relief of missing out, we touched on the fact that it's an enormous privilege to be able to turn away from the news and and obviously that persists and that we talked about how there are some things you feel you have to bear witness to because they're so awful. I think we used to think, well, things are going to get better. You know, whatever's going on right now, the news will turn soon and something good will happen. But and gonna, it just feels like it's not I'm happening. I'm going to interrupt you and say something that's unexpected, which is I had hope fatigue at the Queen's funeral for reasons not related to the death of the Queen. But because I was looking at all of those people, not a single mask in sight, and I suddenly thought, oh, we never thought we would get here. Like all of those people, world leaders, Biden, like old people – In a closed space in Westminster Abbey for the Queen's funeral, nobody was wearing masks. I felt hopeful. I did. I don't know how to walk a line between looking after yourself but staying engaged. Like it doesn't feel – I mean, obviously we work in media and in news, but it doesn't feel like an option or maybe it's just a very privileged option to go, no, I'm I'm switching off completely from – that because then you're disconnected from the world around you. But I know there has to be a middle ground. I used to work in news, in radio journalism, and I worked all through the black summer bushfires and, you know, long days, bulletins every half hour. And it was really scary. And it was the first time that I had ever really felt this sort of fatigue or anxiety where I would just go home and I would just like get in bed and cry. And it wasn't happening to me. My family was safe. My home was safe. But something about the relentlessness of the way you become disassociated from a death count or a loss of animals or a loss of environment, it just, that was a real wake up call for me that I didn't want to be in that world in such an intensive way. There has to be a way to straddle both sides. Leslie Alderman in this piece, as a psychotherapist, she says about how. When they studied people who, after, remember the Boston Marathon bombings? Yes. A few years ago, people who were very immersed in that news cycle and who watched huge amounts of coverage showed levels of stress and distress higher than people who were actually there. That is the most fascinating thing in this case, right? And they offer some practical advice about this in saying that for, and, and obviously, as you've said, Um, If you work in the media, this isn't an option, but vast majority of people it is. Like check the news once a day, just Mm. once a day. Just pick when it is for you, whether it's the morning or the evening or the afternoon and just go checking in, okay, know what's happening now and then move away. That would have been unthinkable for me outside of my professional circumstances a few years ago. But now that idea feels like an aspiration that I would actually love because I've always thought don't personalise like things that are happening other places, as in – It would be ridiculous of me to be in tears about what's happening in Ukraine because it's the people in Ukraine who that's really affecting and the rest of us should be supporting them however we can. But lately I feel this sort of relentless, when is the good news going to start happening? And I'm feeling it a lot with the weather, right, which I know sounds kind of ridiculous, but it's not because it is connected to the 
climate crisis and, and looming. mental health, seasonal mental affective health. disorder. But in terms of everybody who lives on the east coast of Australia keeps getting told this summer is going to be another La Nina, we're not going to get a summer again, it's going to be flooding, it's going to be anxiety around, heavy rainfall all the time, it's going to, that's what. And the thought of that makes me want to weep and not because I'm necessarily directly affected, although the area I live in does flood in, but I'm not in danger, but just that idea of like, oh, we don't have that to look forward to. You know, we don't have summer to look forward to. We don't have happy things to look forward to. I find really hard. And in the middle of this year, I got a really good bit because after being separated from family for all of the pandemic, I got to see them. I got to go on a holiday that I went on on my own to see people I hadn't seen for four years. It was bloody brilliant. It went well. Nothing went wrong. I didn't catch COVID. You know, the planes weren't delayed. I came back, book came out, went really well, happy days. And then our dog died. <laughs> and I know that our dog died. It's got nothing That's to funny. do with anything. It's the hope that kills but you, It's Holly. the hope that kills you, right? And the first yeah. thing I thought was... Things were going too well. <laughs> Things were yeah. going too well. Better Have to we walk learned with nothing? Dread. Have we learned nothing over the past few years than that things aren't allowed to go well? And that's probably maybe hope fatigue. And so now I'm just waiting all the time for the shoe to drop, which is just a tiny personal example of how I think everybody's feeling about the world. So yeah. obviously, the death of my dog is not a crisis for the world, but it's that idea that, oh, maybe the worst of the pandemic is over. I know that for people who are immune compromised, they're still incredibly anxious about it. But for many of us, as you've said about the Queen's funeral, Mia, we seem to be getting back to something like normal. We can travel again. People are coming back to work. Everything's good. But I think we think, oh, well, now then it's flooding and it's nuclear war and it's massively increasing cost of living. And it's like, what can we hope for? So now that Holly has paralysed us all with doom. I know, I'm sorry. Um, there's actually some steps in this article to help refocus your anxiety. So I think it's important to note, Leslie Alderman says that psychologists don't necessarily know how to fix this and they don't have the key to unlock it all, but that's validating, I think, even though not particularly helpful. Come on, guys, put your heads together. So as Holly <laughs> mentioned, take a break from the news Take care of yourself so, you know, you can't be in good fighting shape to cope with current turbulence if you're not looking after yourself. Focus on the present so get in the habit of anchoring yourself in the here and now. Fretting about the future is not helpful. Okay, well, telling me that it's not helpful. I feel helpful like either. the main advice here is focus on what you can control, not yes. what you can't, right? That's Breathing the basic exercises, thing. think about your victories, remind yourself of what's working well in your own life. So, yes, Holly, tragedy did befall your family, but also your book is very good and being received very well. <laughs> Thank you, Em. <laughs> Thank you. Be your Thank own you. therapist. Mm -hmm. It's cheaper. Or you could be my therapist. <laughs> That's fine. Thanks. <laughs> it also suggests volunteering, joining forces with a friend. Yeah, something really interesting that I heard an interview on a podcast recently with a guy called David Plotz who used to be the boss at Slate. His new venture is all about local news because he says the future is local. He says really people have to remember that what they can affect – the local school board, whether or not the trains are running, like who's, you know, mm. being nice to your neighbours, whatever, is actually the thing that will make the difference in your life, not who wins the election or whether, I mean, that's not true if your life is being invaded by Vladimir Putin. But for many of us, it is true that if you focus on the local, and maybe that's something about mental Think about too. what you can do rather than what you can't. Mother Mia out loud. If you want to make Out Loud part of your routine five days a week, we release segments on Tuesdays and Thursdays just for Mamma Mia subscribers. To get full access, follow the link in the show notes and a big thank you to all our current subscribers.
What's one rule your kids consistently ignore? Don't play football in the house. What's the greatest thing you've learned from your kids? How to play football in the house and how to love unconditionally. Mia, we need to talk while Jesse isn't here. Mm-hmm. We've got a wedding in the family coming up. We do. We do. <laughs> the Out Loud family. Your actual family, but for the rest yeah. of us, the Out Loud family. Yep. Jesse's marrying my son, and oh, for those who are new here. Yeah. And we you need have further to questions. talk. The internet, I'm sure, can assist. <laughs> Specifically, we need to talk about Victoria Beckham and Nicola Peltz. I'm Team Victoria. Because... This might be the most famous and infamous mother-in-law, daughter-in-law stoush of the moment. If, like me, you've been trying to turn away from some tabloid gossip, but this is irresistible, this one, I'll give you a little bit of context. Nicola Peltz is from a very fancy, very rich family, even fancier and richer than the Beckhams, Americans. And Nicola has married Brooklyn, who is the oldest of the Beckham's children, which makes me feel a million because I remember his christening. He's very young. Were you there? What did you wear? (laughs) (laughs) She wore Victoria Beckham. It was in Hello Magazine, Mia. I might as well have been there. Anyway, they're early 20s. They're hot young things, right? Famously, there seems to have been a major falling out between Victoria and Nicola that started with a wedding dress. So I think there might be a few teachable moments here for Mia. Mia infamously cares about clothes. Jesse infamously doesn't. Mm. Do not be tempted to step in and try and influence. You know how you're always giving Jesse things to wear? Yeah. Because this could happen, right? Luckily I've lost my wedding dress, so I don't I can't give her that to wear. <laughs> how does one lose a whole wedding frock? <laughs> Mia's always going, wear this. And Jesse's always going, I'm not a dog for you to dress. Anyway, <laughs> Victoria Beckham, Vicky, as we call her, Vicky is a very famous fashion designer. And her fashion design house, atelier, I think we call them, make mm. wedding dresses. But Nicola didn't wear one of hers. Wow. She wore custom-made Valentino. And that's apparently where this all started. Nicola says that she wanted Vicky to make the dress. She gave quotes to Grazia US saying, I wanted Vicky to make my dress, but Vicky said her atelier was too busy, which I find hard to believe. So we turned to Valentino, who clearly have nothing to do. Oh, nothing. <laughs> the most famous couture house in the world, sitting around. Yeah, it's disingenuous. Making isn't lots of beautiful story. hot pink things. Yeah. This is where it started. They fell out over the wedding dress. She didn't wear Victoria Beckham. She wore Valentino. Then apparently. It's worse than this, actually. And I'm going to speak up for Posh now because in this interview, which was a shocker to give, like, and we'll get to that in a second, but it makes you see what a bridezilla she was. She said, Victoria offered to make my dress. We had a meeting and then for a couple of days she didn't get back to me yeah. or my mother. And so when we didn't hear from her in a couple of days, we went elsewhere. And I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> wow. So it's not like Victoria said we are too busy. I know. She just did not say. Well, I think then she went jump on. Nicola then went on to say, and so it became clear that they couldn't do it and that couldn't happen. So we went to Valentina. Then apparently at the reception, there was too much praise for Vicky, too much praise for Posh. Oh my God, apparently Vicky. Mark Anthony gave a speech. Why? I don't know. J-Lo's ex? Yep. Yeah. J-Lo's ex, good mates with the Beckhams. Mark Anthony gave a speech where he just praised the mother-in-law a lot. This is another thing you need to watch out for. No speeches need to be about you at that wedding, including your one. And allegedly Nicola and her sister stormed out in tears of their own reception. Oh, come on. No, I don't believe that. Apparently. And since then... Things have Why gone is bad. sister crying? I Can everyone know. get a grip? You can't storm in a Valentino gown. No. Maybe it was a shuffle. 
It was a waddle. It's too tight. There's too much fluff. Anyway, the receipts have been collected by the internet that saw that pre-wedding, Victoria had liked more than 25 of Nicola's posts and Nicola had liked 20. This is the kind of shit that Mm -hmm. tabloid journalists have to do these days is count the likes on celebrity posts. Mm. But since no liking of each other's posts. I doubt they even manage their own social media. Don't they have people doing that and liking things and following others? This feud, as we're calling it, has now been going on for months since the wedding in April. The reason it's back in the news is that at Victoria's fancy Paris Fashion Week show, which is the first time Victoria has shown in Paris, Nicola said they hadn't been given enough notice to get there, but they did get there and now there have been pictures of them all together and everyone's going, oh. But this mother-in-law, daughter-in-law relationship is going to be scrutinised for all of time, mm. just as yours is with Jessie Mir, a slightly lower level of celebrity, just a slightly lower. Just a little bit. <laughs> and I want to know what your feels are. What's interesting is whether this is true or not. The stories that then played out with it, David Beckham, obviously Posh was very upset about this. David Beckham reached out to Brooklyn and said, son, we don't do things in our family that way, which is true. Like trashing your mother-in-law to the press, like that wasn't cool. And he, she also said something really hurtful about David Beckham. She said, you know, Brooklyn, I love the relationship that he has with my dad. My dad's his mentor. I w- love watching how much he learns from my dad, Ooh. which I thought was emasculating of both Brooklyn, her husband, and David Beckham, her father-in-law. So anyway, Maybe I'm unclear about- a business perspective. She did, but I think that David and Brooklyn yeah. are tight too. Anyway. So what's been interesting is to watch how it's played out. So there was clearly disquiet behind the scenes. How could there not be? So there was this very staged, the equivalent of a pat walk when Brooklyn and Nicola came to Victoria's show. Interestingly, there was video and Nicola had her back turned to Victoria. So it's like she was there under sufferance. She's really doing a big flex, right? And I think that... Why is she doing I don't I think, understand this power dynamic. I think she's really insecure. I think she's really trying to wee on the tree of Brooklyn and say, he's mine, I'm his main bitch now. I and don't... Oh my God. I really feel... For Victoria. So I don't is, know if Victoria Beckham is necessarily with a proven track record of being an extremely warm person. I mean, I know that a no, lot of- No, she is. She an, is. She Everyone I know who's ever met Victoria mm. Beckham says that she is lol out loud. Yeah, but in terms funny. of the way that she presents herself, there's a very curated image in the media in terms of coldness, not smiling, you know, everyone always like yeah. makes a big deal if they ever see her smile on she camera. Doesn't like her teeth. If she doesn't like her smile. That doesn't mean she's a bitch. I think there's like What's more point? to this. <laughs> My point is that obviously the trope of mother-in-law versus daughter-in-law is Taylor's oldest time. We love a quote-unquote cat fight. I hate it. I absolutely hate it and I don't understand it, I why, which is why I need you to explain it to me a bit, Mia, because you're closer to it than me. But what I was trying to say is I think that because Victoria Beckham is so mysterious to so many of us, despite, you know, rumours that she's a lovely person, whatever, she's mysterious. We don't know a lot about her. She doesn't talk a lot. I think that we're just desperate to fabricate a story here because we don't know. No, no, there's clearly stuff going on. Explain to me why a woman, this is what I've never understood, is why these two women, I don't mean necessarily these specific two women, I mean these two characters in any story, the mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law, are adversaries. Why? They both love the same person. Um, They're playing very different roles in his life. Why should you feel adversarial to either the person who gave birth to your partner 
It's your son loving daughter, another woman. I don't understand it. Because you. you, yeah, because you both love him. He's but both the love of your way. life. In a different way, but I think this is why you have to be really careful. As a mother-in-law, you have to be really sensitive. And I think also as a daughter-in-law, and I've been in both situations now, and with all seriousness, I'm very careful and very aware that it's very important that your son moves away from you as being the main woman in their life to whoever their partner is. And yes, it can feel, because in some ways when you have a son, you feel like you've created the perfect man. Like you love him in the most unconditional way and the most uncomplicated way. And then it can feel really sad as he grows up and away from you. And then when someone comes in and he loves them, I remember when Luca was a baby, holding him in my arms and crying with those early first few week hormones and saying, one day he's going to love a woman more than he loves me. Mm. And I, my heart was broken. I have never thought that. No, but, but, how but can now a partner- he does. Yeah. And it's beautiful and I think because a lot of people ask me about this, I think it's because I love Jessie and I think she's fucking awesome. If I didn't, I imagine that would yes. be really hard or if she didn't like me. like oh, It's hard, hard for a partner to live up to the expectation of, you know, if in your yeah. eyes this is the perfect man, well then he deserves nothing less than the perfect woman. And I totally understand. The perfect I totally partner. understand that and I've got plenty of friends and examples of this in my life where this relationship is antagonistic because they don't get along. Yes. Yeah, but I think the reason that I don't understand it is they're young so they literally are moving from mum to daughter whereas like my partner, for example, he was like 40 when. I met him like he didn't yes. belong to his mum. I don't see it like that. I don't see it like you're moving from one house to another because there's been a yeah. massive gap in between. Like you pull away from That's your parents true. for a million reasons, not because of love. I have a recommendation before we go that is about food. And because it's about cooking, Mia won't be into it, but people will be. Out loud is going to love this shit. Gotta eat. We've just moved house, right? The world is in chaos. And where I live, which is not in the city. You can't just Uber Eats. There is no delivery, right? There's no such thing. So you have to cook. There's no choice. Hell. A friend of mine told me, I was like, what the hell am I going to cook this Saturday night? What the hell? Said, have you checked this site, also a book, which I had heard of because it's published by my publisher, but it's called Recipe Tin Eats, right? I have never really looked into them, heard about it. I know it's been a massive seller. It's been number one in kind of the food book world, but I hadn't really paid attention until my friend said, you've got to try and make their fried rice because it's the easiest thing you'll ever do in your life. And I was like, sure, whatever. It is the easiest thing you'll ever do really? in your life. Anytime I've ever tried to make rice, it's been massive fail. But you have to normally make fried rice with old rice, like day old rice. Oh. So you cook rice, you let it cool down, you let it dry out, and then you use it for fried rice. You can make this version of fried rice if all you have in your house is some rice and maybe some stock and some soy sauce and some frozen veggies. And you put it all in a baking dish. Well, baking. Like a tray. Does like the rice a, have to be cooked? No, this is the thing, right? And I'll put the link to the actual recipe before you all get at me. But my friend told me about it. I was like, sure, that sounds terrible. Tried it. Amazing. You literally get a baking dish. You put long grain white rice in it, a bit of stock, a bit of soy sauce and whatever else you've got lying around. Maybe you've got some frozen peas and corn. Maybe yeah. you've got a bit of bacon in the fridge. Maybe you've got whatever. Chop it up. You put it all in. You toss it in the soy sauce and stock and you just put it in the oven. And then what you do is you do not touch it 
until 10 minutes before it's meant to be ready when you get it out and you put some foil over it and you stick it back in and then when you get it back out you fluff it up and oh my god it's the easiest thing I've Holly, ever made in my I life. I think you need to make this into a TikTok because it's going to go viral. <laughs> it's going to be the new TikTok pasta. I thought, here's my normally fried rice. I'm like, got to find some old rice, chopping up veggies, cooking this, egg that, fry, fry, blah, blah. You just throw a load of shit in a tin, put it in the oven, it comes out amazing. Recipe <laughs> to needs, people. Okay, Nigella. It is called mm. Dump and Bake Emergency Fried Rice. Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> because it's for those times when you've got nothing in the house, like you've just moved house and there's no Uber Eats. I'm putting the link in. You'll thank me for it. Sounds cheap as well. Very cheap. And thank if, you for listening. Go on. And listen. if you're driving or you're just not around something that you can write down, we – Send out our recommendations in the Outlouders newsletter along with all kinds of behind-the-scenes bits and pieces. I think we send it on a Saturday. Saturday morning. Yeah, with all our recos and links to everything we've recommended during the week. And if you're looking for something else to listen to, yesterday's subscriber episode was all about if you believe in the one. Oh, Do yes. you know when you know? Soulmates, etc. Holly Wainwright. It was. I'm always interested in this, in that poll, when you know, you know. And we discussed with Claire Murphy whether that was true or not. We had different opinions. Mm. I think it's true. Mm. But I think there can be multiple ones. Mm. Thank you for listening to Mamma Mia Out Loud. This episode is produced by Emma Gillespie, who's also been filling in. Thank you for doing Double Duty. Thank you with for having me. audio production by Leah Porges. We'll see you tomorrow or in orange. <gasps> see you in orange. Bye. Big thanks to anyone listening who has become a Mamma Mia subscriber. Subscribers get access to every podcast, exclusive videos, and all the great articles on Mamma Mia. Subscriptions cost as little as $5.75 a month. There's a link in our show notes.